Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, it's a, it's a fresh new day and we need a fresh new word from you. And so, Lord, we know you've never failed us in the past. So teach us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Genesis 39, we're just going to look at these last few verses in this chapter. Verse 19, starting. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant do to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Okay, now, a little bit of context here, because in our last study, what we saw is how in a moment, Joseph's life just crumbled. It was just all gone, all because of this false accusation from this woman, Potiphar's wife, who was trying to, he was trying to force me, and he was thrown into the worst prison there in irons in Egypt. It just, everything looked so bad for Joseph. It all just looked really a bad prospect. But we saw last week how verse 21 made all the difference in the world when it says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And we saw that 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 meant for Joseph He was never alone. He was never alone. Just like Paul and Silas, they were not alone. And Joseph could sing like Paul and Silas did. I don't know what he was going to say, but if we could give him the blue hymnal, he would turn to never alone, Joseph would, and he would sing. The world's fierce winds are blowing, temptations are sharp and keen. I feel a peace in knowing my Savior stands between. He stands to shield me from danger when earthly friends are gone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never alone. He could sing those words. And so on the surface, it looks like everything's going bad for Joseph, but in reality, the Lord was still with him. Now, We've been studying this. I started off, I said we're going to study Joseph in prison. So on the surface, it all looks like what we're really studying here is just the personal history of Joseph. But really, we're studying much more than that because we're actually studying the history of how God preserved the Jewish people from destruction. Why? Because of the importance of Galatians 4.4. Galatians 4.4 explains to us 
something, the most monumental thing that happened in the history of the Jewish people is Galatians 4.4 when it says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. God sent forth his son made of a woman and that woman was a Jewish woman from the Jewish people. Like my friend John who was on a plane this last week and he was going from San Francisco to Tel Aviv and he said it was full of, all full of Jewish women. A lot of jewelry, a lot of, anyway. <laughs> okay, but Satan knew that in the fullness of time, God would send forth his son made of a Jewish woman. And so therefore, Satan was out to destroy the Jewish people because that son that would come of a Jewish woman was gonna crush the head of Satan. Therefore, Satan did everything he could to destroy the Jewish people to prevent God from sending forth his son to be made of a Jewish woman. And the survival of the Jewish people now has all come down to Joseph. It's all about Joseph. If Satan can destroy Joseph, he's got a chance to destroy the Jewish people. So Satan had strategies. His first strategy was to destroy Joseph through his brothers who hated him and wanted to murder him. That didn't work, thanks to Reuben. And second strategy to destroy Joseph was through this moral destruction through Potiphar's wife who kept saying, lie with me, lie with me. That didn't work thanks to Joseph's resolve to resist the temptation. His third strategy to destroy Joseph was through this false accusation by Potiphar's wife. You know, he tried to force me, he tried to force me, which he should have been, Joseph should have been executed, but thanks to Potiphar, he wasn't. And so here we have now the fourth strategy to destroy to Joseph, which is just to have him waste away in this underground prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. And what was more important was that the Lord was not only with Joseph, the Lord was up for this new challenge in Joseph's life. Now, Joseph is here in prison, and he's got not just the challenge of is he going to live through this, is he going to survive through this, he's really got another challenge that he's facing, and that's the challenge of bitterness. Would Joseph become bitter? Joseph has time to think about what's just happened to him. And it's this what's just happened that is the threat of bitterness. It just landed in prison. What just happened to Joseph was totally out of his control. He had no control over it. What just happened to Joseph was not his fault. He didn't deserve it. He didn't do, he didn't do anything wrong. What just happened to Joseph was totally under the control of God. And God could have stopped this from happening, but God did not stop it. And this was the challenge for Joseph to resist bitterness against God for letting this happen. And this is the same challenge that Job went through. Job was faced with this as he thought about, what just happened to me? What just happened when I lost all of my possessions? What just happened when I lost all of my children? What just happened when I lost my relationship with my wife? And what just happened to Job when he lost all of his health? What just happened? It was, and Job could look at it and say, it was totally out of my control. What just happened to me, it was, I don't think I did anything wrong. I didn't deserve this. But what just happened to me, Job could say, was totally under the control of God. He could have stopped this from happening, but he didn't. And as a matter of fact, Job's wife, she steps in and she did blame God. And she became bitter. And she told Job, Job, 
Just go ahead and finish this whole thing. In Job 2.9, when she said, then said his wife unto him, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But Job did retain his integrity, and in that sense, he didn't let all these troubles break him. And we're gonna see a little bit later on how it was possible for Job to stand against this. But Job stood firm, and he said these words in Job 121, Job 121, and said, naked came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Not cursed, as his wife said, but blessed be the name of the Lord. See, what held him was his resolve to bless in spite of all the loss that he'd experienced. He held on, Joseph too. Joseph, what held him was his resolve to not blame God. Now, in order for him not to become bitter, Joseph, you know, you always have to take a step back and say, okay, I'm here in prison. What's the good things about being here in prison? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm serious, actually. <laughs> what are the benefits to me being here in prison? You know, when times are good, when times are good, I'll tell you, when times are good, you know, when times are good for us, we just don't feel that extreme hunger for God. You know, it's like, you know, oh, yeah, great. You know, let's have a barbecue and then talk about God also. You know, there's not this great hunger, but there is when times are hard. So when times are good, we don't feel the need for God as much as when times are hard. Prison's a hard time. Prison's a really hard time. For That's why it's called hard time in prison. Hard times in life, especially is when we're aware of God's presence, like not before. That's why these two verses are so important. They're coupled together. He's thrown into prison, but the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord knew. He sensed that God was with him. So, you know, he could say, the Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. And I don't know if he was thinking this or not, but this prison was pretty bad. It was underground, and the only light that came from above Maybe he kind of walked around. He says, boy, this prison's like the world. Every time I look horizontally, I see darkness. But when I look up, I see light. But Joseph was in prison, and you could see that especially in his interaction, which we're going to see a little bit later on, with the prisoners, is that he gained a real empathy and a sympathy and an ability to communicate with these prisoners because he was one of them, and he knew what they were feeling like, and he was in conversation with these prisoners, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later on. If you're a Christian, we are Christians, and Christians need to be in conversation with others. Now, he learned how to encourage the, the prisoners. He learned, he, learned to, that, that, that he learned the truth of what King David said about the prisoners that he could tell other prisoners about, which was Psalm 69.33. Psalm 69.33 says, The Lord heareth the poor and despiseth not his prisoners. Now, everybody else despised the prisoners. Literally, they looked down there in that hole down there. Literally, they looked down, they despised, but not God. Now, when we read that the Lord showed mercy to Joseph, we're explained what this mercy was. When we look at this in verse 21, verse 21 says that God showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So here we're introduced to a new person. Here's a new person who's just come on the stage here. This is called the keeper of the prison. Potiphar was probably the, in charge of the prison, and the person who is called the keeper of the prison probably was working under Potiphar. And so what this keeper of the prison saw, and this is what we really want to focus on this now, what he saw 
and his keeper of the prison, was a certain charm to Joseph. There was a certain charm to Joseph. Joseph was the type of person who just won the hearts of those he came in contact with. We want to look at this. We're going to look at this. How did he do this? How did he win the hearts of all these people? He was, first of all, Joseph was an outgoing person, and he was, three things you could say about Joseph. He was truthful, and he was honest, and he was fair. Truthful, honest, and fair. These were qualities that drew people to Joseph. Joseph was the kind of person that people wanted to like. They liked to like him. And that's what happened with the keeper of the prison here. And this is a lesson for us. When we look at this of how Joseph, he was there. And really, Joseph was suffering for what's called righteousness sake. He was righteous when he didn't lie with Potiphar's wife. And he's suffering from it. And during the suffering, he's winning the hearts of that. And there's a lesson in that. During the suffering, he's winning the hearts of others around him. And that is found in 1 Peter 3.13, which is 3.13 through 15, especially verse 15, 1 Peter 3.15, which really is addressing what's happening here with Joseph when it says, now think about this in Joseph's context in 1 Peter 3.13, which starts off saying, and who is he that will harm you? Joseph, who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But, and if, Ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. This is Joseph's verses here. Joseph could put these verses on the wall of his prison cell there and look at them every day and say, yep, that's me. These verses are what we see in Joseph. First, Joseph looks around the prison and he could say, who is he that will harm me? Who is he that will harm me? I'm follower of that which is good, from 1 Peter 3.13. Now, certainly, Joseph was a follower of that which is good. He refused to become defiled with Potiphar's wife. As a matter of fact, Joseph is described as suffering for righteousness' sake. And that's exactly this time period when Peter wrote these words. We've got to think about this. Well, who was Peter writing to? He was writing to primarily Jewish Christians who were scattered abroad, who were scattered abroad, the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire that was ruled by Nero. Nero was the emperor of Rome. And Nero had unleashed a fury of brutality against Christians. And these are the people that Peter is writing to. Nero brutally murdered Christians. He had Christians sewn up in the skins of wild animals and then thrown to the dogs so that he and his courtiers could watch with delight as the dogs ripped the Christians from limb to limb. He had Christians tarred with oil, with pitch, and then tied up on poles in his garden and set them on fires. They became the lampposts in his garden, and he had Christians thrown to the lions. And then what he was doing, this brutal murder of Christians, had spread all around by word of mouth. Everybody knew about it. And the whole of the Roman Empire, what Nero was doing to the Christians, and it was to the Jewish Christians in particular that Peter was writing to, who heard about all these things that Nero was doing. And Peter writes, who is he that will harm you if you would be followers of that which is good? 
And Peter writes, but and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. And Peter knew what it was like to fail. He knew that from his own personal experience when Peter was in Pilate's hall and he was identified several times as a disciple. And Peter did not stand up for the Lord. And Peter did not sanctify the Lord God in his heart. And Peter was not ready to give an answer for the hope that was in him. But instead, Peter swore and he denied the Lord. Peter is saying by these verses, I learned my lesson. I learned my lesson. And I don't want you to fall like I did. And so he said, first of all, when you suffer like this, happy are you. We're gonna talk a little bit about that. Now, Joseph could endure this prison because he had sanctified the Lord God in his heart, which means he had dedicated himself to the Lord. That's the first prerequisite before you go into suffering. Peter says, you must be dedicated. Joseph was dedicated in the first Peter 3, 15. First Peter 3, 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. It doesn't say sanctify God in your heart. It says sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And that's interesting because it tells us we have to settle within our hearts that the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ is God. And that means he's in control. That means it's the Lord. So when we look at places in the New Testament where we see the Lord Jesus Christ and the demons in total submission to him, which we see in Matthew 8.28, and Matthew 8.28 where it says, and when he was come to the other side in the country of the Gadarenes, there met him two possessed with demons coming forth out of the tombs, exceeding fear so that no man could pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, the demons cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, thou son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Interesting, they're very conscious of that time. And then we see another place where we see that in Mark 1.23. Mark 1.23, he says, And there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. And what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. These are two instances where we see demons, demons of hell, submitting themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, acknowledging He is holy, acknowledging he is God, acknowledging he will be the one to torment them, acknowledging he's gonna be the one to destroy them. So these are pictures that we have of the lordship, of the godship of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first requirement for Joseph or anyone who goes through suffering is to settle it in the heart that the Lord Jesus Christ is God. He is the supreme ruler over all. There's a throne in our hearts. Each one of us has a throne in our hearts. And we determine who's gonna sit on that throne. And before we were believers, self sat on that throne. Now he says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That means give up that place, get off of that throne, and let the Lord Jesus Christ enthrone him in your hearts. Make him the Lord of your lives. Okay. Now, to sanctify the Lord God in the hearts means for us to give him the place of the God-man in our hearts. As God, the Lord Jesus Christ brings God's message to man. We read the Bible, that's the Lord speaking to our hearts. He's God speaking to us. 
God, bringing God's message to man. But it's important for us also to see him as man because we need a man. We need a man to bring our message to God. And our message is we want forgiveness, we want cleansing. He is the man to represent man to God in heaven. As man, he's our priest who made reconciliation for us, which is talked about in 2 Corinthians 5.19. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses again to them. And he did all this work for us at the cross. This is what it's meant by sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. This is what it's meant by Christian dedication. But in addition to dedication, this verse in Peter, 1 Peter 3.15 is talking about a preparation. A preparation. When it says, be ready, that means be prepared. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. So be ready means to be prepared. And there's two words in this verse and there's two words in this verse, 1 Peter 3.15, that tell us that we should be ready for to give first an answer and we should be ready to give a reason. Those are the two words in 1 Peter 3.15 that we need to be ready. The first preparation seen is the word answer. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason. Answer, reason, answer, reason. First answer Answer, the Greek word there is apologia. Apologia, it doesn't mean to apologize. (laughs) It doesn't mean to always walk around being ready to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, no. (laughs) Okay, it it means, it doesn't mean to apologize. It means to present a defense, to present a defense. It's where we get our word apologetics, apologetics. There are two areas encompassed in the word apologia as we Christians need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. The first defense that we need is of the Bible. The greatest attack on the Bible today is really in the first, first chapters of Genesis and on creation and on the worldwide flood. That's why the Creation and Earth History Museum, I'm not trying to give a plug here, I'm just trying to describe it, in Santee is built around this first defense, which is to equip believers with a scientific defense of creation and the worldwide flood that happened with Noah. And every Thursday night, again, not a plug, just telling you, every Thursday night we have a study at the Creation Earth History Museum which equips believers with a defense through through a study so that believers can give this answer, so believers can be prepared to give this answer, this apologia. The second preparation that believers need for an answer is a defense of why you are a Christian, why you are a Christian. Every Christian should be prepared to tell at any moment how he met the Lord Jesus Christ. Every Christian should be ready at any moment to explain the reasons why you became a Christian. No person is born a Christian. No one can say, I was born a Christian. (laughs) That's not true. No one can say, I've always been a Christian. I've always been a Christian. There was a time when every Christian received the Lord Jesus Christ, like it says in John 1, 12 through 13, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power or the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages 
can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.